So we turn now for a little to the second book of Samuel, second book of Samuel, chapter 23, in verses 15 to 17, but we read especially verse 15. David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. This very familiar and moving story of King David has captured the imagination of people all down the centuries. It shed considerable light on David's own character and personality. David had a very eventful life, as you all know. David was a man who had considerable ups and downs in his fortunes and also in his character. He was capable of sinking, as he did at one stage, as everybody knows, to very low depths indeed. But he was also capable of, of soaring to the most magnificent height. He was obviously a magnetic character, a character, a, a, a man who was capable of winning and retaining the love and the loyalty of his fellow men to a, a marked degree. And nowhere does his, the magnetism of his personality display itself more than in this story. A man who could inspire such heroism, such devotion, such self-sacrifice, was obviously a man of outstanding strength. With all his vicissitudes, David never got far away from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate. He could always return there. He, was, in spite of everything, he never lost, he, he never lost his faith. His faith that God had made with him an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. David had an anchor, a, a, an anchor sure and steadfast, entering into that which was in the veil. Oh, he said that one would give me to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. I had an uncle who died in this city very many years ago. He had lived a very healthy life until he was in his middle sixties. And then things began to go wrong with his health. He was taken to hospital and examined. And the diagnosis was uh, a malignant tumor. They could do nothing about it. And his days were numbered and his days were short. 
and he could, and he can, he was seized with a longing to spend at least a few of those last weeks while he still had a little strength left in his old home up in Sutherlandshire to see once again the mountain ranges the fields to hear the song of the cuckoo and the babbling of the burn and savour the scent of the peat and the fresh grass on the top of a field in this cross where he had been brought up there was a well a well where no doubt he had often refreshed himself in the hot summer days in his youth and he must have felt that there was no water in all the world that tasted like the water of that well and I remember every day during those sad days when he was back in his old home kind hands brought into the house a jar of water from that well oh that one would give me to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem it may be an irrational yearning but we can well understand it and we can sympathize with it and so David parched in the heat of the sun beset by his enemies exclaims oh that one would give me to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem which is by the gate we can think of it first as just natural nostalgia for the days of youth David had traveled a bit since those early days in Bethlehem and the journey hadn't always been pleasant and he was going to travel a good deal farther yet that was of course a critical day in David's experience when the prophet Samuel had called at the house of Jesse in Bethlehem with that cruise of oil and anointed David as the future king of Israel I wonder if we can imagine David's feelings on that occasion was he thrilled or was he just utterly bewildered the thing had come so suddenly so utterly unexpectedly I imagine it must have seemed to him like a dream out of which he was going to waken. It must have seemed indeed like a fairy story. But he awoke from his dream and it was real. And it wasn't just like a fairy story, ending that they all lived happily ever afterwards. You and I don't know what life has in, has in store for us. We don't know what. We don't know... <coughs> We don't know where life is leading. We may start off with rosy prospects. Perhaps not as rosy as David in being king of Israel, but we may, we, we may dream of, uh, uh, of success and, and happiness in home and in business. Then life never seems to go just as we pictured it. The days passed in David's life. And before long, the reality of the situation began to dawn upon him. He found himself in what must have been an embarrassing position as a sort of court musician at the court of Saul, knowing what nobody else at that time knew, that he was destined to be Saul's successor. And then there was the 
jealousy of Saul, the intensive jealousy of, over David's growing popularity with the people. Hated by Saul, whom he, whom, he, whom he loved and wanted to serve, he found himself an outlaw wandering on the hills of Judea. And perhaps many a day he wondered why he had ever left his father's sheep, why he had ever left the quiet pasture of Bethlehem, the purity and the peace and the godly atmosphere of his father's home, all that one would give me to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. And there are many people in the world, many who are sick of the hurly-burly of life, the sordidness of their rat race, perhaps caught up against their better judgment in the scheming and counter-scheming of business life. And there are times when they yearn for the innocent pleasures and the simple life of days gone by. And perhaps they feel it was better with them then than now. And yet, let us remember that David was being led by God. He wasn't to live all his life in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was too small a place for David. And we dare not shirk the, the responsibilities of life. And if we miss the quiet and the peace of Bethlehem, we can enjoy opportunities of doing good that, that, that Bethlehem would never have, never have given to us. There's no need. There's no need to be led astray by the world. We can if God leads us. Many of us have to of God if, 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 if life, life takes us that way. Many of us have to leave home and go out into the world for ourselves. But still out in the world we can retain the uplifting and the restraining influences of youth. It's not our fault if the world is full of disturbing features and confronts us with temptation. It is our fault if we yield to these temptations. And we can be kept closer to the best things if we don't forget the water of the well of Bethlehem. Don't, if we don't forget the upbringing of our old homes, we can still maintain high ideals and purity of life and integrity of character and reverence for the things of God and the reading of God's word and prayer and family religion so sadly lacking in these days so crowded out by the by the pressure by the pressure of 20th century life we can still retain those things that we cherish But in the second place, we can look upon this as a, I think, as a prayer for the spiritual fervor of youth. A prayer for the spiritual fervor of youth. 
We don't know very much about David's history, but it's quite clear that he early in life trusted in the Lord, that he was from his youth a man of a true and a vital faith, a faith by which he lived, a faith by which he was able to meet and uh, kill a lion and a bear when he was feeding his father's sheep and no doubt also was a able to meet the um, <coughs> to meet the attacks uh, of the devil one likes to think that it was in those early days it's not altogether certain one likes to think that it was in his, those early days that he wrote these familiar words to look, uh, as, he, as he fed his sheep uh, on the hills of Bethlehem. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And if as some think it wasn't in his early days, no doubt the memory of those early days came back to him as he, as he did write the words. We see the faith of David in full exercise as he faced Goliath the Philistine. Thou comest unto me with a sword and with a spear, but I come to thee in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. That was the faith that carried David right down through, his, through, the, through the years, through all the vicissitudes of his life. And yet we know that there were days when that faith was clouded over. There was a day, for example, when he when he said, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Ah yes, and later on, as we know, he fell and with, less, and with a great deal less excuse into sin far more deplorable than that. There are chapters with which you're all familiar in this very second book of Samuel. But we would, that, that would fain wish never had to be written. They leave us a, a dark, dark blot on David's character. And yet they are written. And these things are written for our learning. And among other things, not only to warn us, but also to save us from despair. And maybe there, there, there are some here who in early youth gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And perhaps in those early days showed great promise. And whether it was early in life or later on in life, you can look back and remember the warmth of your, of your first love. The wonder of those days when first you tasted that the Lord was gracious. When first you saw Jesus crucified for, for your offenses. And when you yielded your heart and your life to him. You remember the desire that you had to please Christ. The tenderness of your conscience. Your love of the Bible and of the throne of grace, of prayer, the longing that you had to win others for, 
for, for Jesus Christ. I wonder if I'm speaking to any who, have to, who has to confess that over the years love has grown cold. The demands of your calling perhaps, the weariness of overwork, have crowded prayer into a steadily shrinking corner of your life and taken away the reality out of what is left. It may be that the pressures of life have pushed you even into some of the more dubious ways of the world and you have perverted your conscience in trying to square it with things that one day you would have roundly and unhesitatingly condemned. Perhaps the temptations of the world and of the flesh may have proved too strong for you. Perhaps not going to the same extent, we trust not as David did, but, never, but at least going to the extent of harboring illicit thoughts in the heart. And it may be that there are times when you wonder if the root of the matter was ever in you at all. You seem to have moved so far from those early days. You wonder if you've been deceiving yourself all along. Oh, it's a sadly familiar story. It's a story of very many, I'm afraid, of most Christian lives that at some stage or other in their lives, there come times that comes over us all, I'm afraid, times of coldness, times of disobedience, times of backsliding. And perhaps tonight you're longing for the warmth of your first love. You're longing for the tenderness of conscience that you once enjoyed. Longing for the blessedness you knew when first you saw the Lord. Oh, that one would give me to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Ah, but the Philistines are in Bethlehem now. You've, you've let them into Bethlehem. You'll be lax and unwatchful. And once they get in there, it's not an easy thing to, to get them out of it again. And it's not an easy thing to get there. And yet, remember this, the Philistines, the Philistines hadn't filled up, filled up the well. The well was there still. The well is there still if we have the courage and the perseverance to seek it. And as I say, there may be some here who are seeking tonight. And thank God if you are seeking. Thank God if you're saying, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? It means that God has not yet left you alone. He's not yet left you. He hasn't left you to yourself. You're not hardened in sin. And thank God for that. And take courage that God, that, that God will restore, restore you again. The water of the well of Bethlehem, the words are emotive, are they not? The story of the opening of the wells of salvation begins at Bethlehem. It doesn't end there, of course. 
It's not to Bethlehem you and I have to go, but, but to Calvary. It wasn't at Bethlehem that our salvation was wrought. It was at, it was at Calvary. <coughs> it, were, it, it wasn't at Bethlehem that, that our Lord paid the price of our sin, but at Calvary. But yet it is to him who was born in Bethlehem that we must go. David's mighty men risked their lives in order to bring water from the well to David. But Jesus Christ gave his life in order to bring to you and me the water of the wells of salvation. He met our enemies. He vanquished and overcame them. He died, but he rose again from the dead. And he is able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. There is a fountain open for sin and for uncleanness to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. We can never get back the days of youth. We can never live our life over again and there's no guarantee that it will be any better the next time than it was the last time. What's done cannot be undone. And yet we can find one who will heal our backslidings, who will restore our souls and make us to walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Who will make our lives, perhaps not what they once were, perhaps not what they might have been. David's, never, David's life never was what it might have been, humanly speaking, had he not had that terrible fall. But nevertheless, a life that God can use to his own glory. And remember that God can transform even our failures. He can take even our failures and while that, does, that never excuses the failures themselves, yet he can use even these to make us, to make us more sensitive, more loving and more sympathetic to others. You remember what our Lord said to Peter, just as he foretold the sad denial. Thou shalt deny me thrice. But he said, when thou art converted. He said, Satan hath desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And what a strength. Peter must have been to many uh, poor, poor, repenting, sorrowing soul, as he remembered how, Jesus, how the Lord had dealt with himself. But remember the only way is to go back 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 to 
where we first found peace. Back to the one who restores the, the, the years that the locust have eaten. Back to him who first uh, back to him in whom we first found peace. To him who was born in Bethlehem, who died on the cross of Calvary. And see him afresh, crucified for your offenses. And keep your eye upon him until he restores you the joy of his salvation. Until he softens the hardness of your heart. Till he humbles your proud spirit. Till he adjusts the balance of your conscience and fills you with adoring wonder. A wonder greater and more mature than that at your first conversion and makes you exclaim, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that passes by the remnant of the transgression of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. And my friends, one purpose surely of a communion season is to bring us back to Christ. If we have been straying from him, or if there has been even any coldness beginning to creep over our hearts, after all the time, the time to deal with these things is at the beginning. The time to deal with anything that goes wrong is the the time to deal with anything that goes wrong, wherever it may be, in machinery or anywhere else, is, 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 is when, when, when you see the first sign of it. And the same is true of our, of our spiritual lives. How much trouble and how much remorse will be saved if only, if only we realized at the beginning when we're becoming a little less watchful, a little more lax. When we're moving a little bit farther away from Christ. Well, the communion season, among other things, is intended to bring us back to him. To bring us back to ourselves. To ourselves as we, as we were. And if our heart has grown cold, to restore, to restore to us our first love. But now let us think for just a moment of David's reception of the answer to his prayer. An amazing answer that these three men cut their way through the ranks of the Philistines and brought David a jar of water from the well of Bethlehem. And what did David do? Did he drink it? No. He poured it out to the Lord. I sometimes wonder how the men, uh, what the men thought when they saw David doing this. Did they feel, perhaps, feel aggrieved that he hadn't uh, drunk the water that he procured at so that they procured at so great a cost, or did they understand? Did they understand his delicacy, the sensitiveness of his spirit? He felt that he would be drinking nothing less than the blood of valiant men. He felt there would have been sacrilege if he drank that water. Oh, of course, it was, it was the reason, it would have been the reasonable thing on David's part to drink the water. 
But we know that there's a mysterious sense of fitness in all of us that can take precedence over cold reason. And we can surely appreciate, we can surely appreciate David's feelings. But you know, my friends, in our case, we can do both. We can drink and we can pour it out as well. We are told to drink. To drink nothing less than the blood of the Son of God. And yet we're told to drink. And as we sit at the table of the Lord and, dr and, and, drink, the, and drink the wine, may we see with the eye of faith and may we taste with the lips of faith the blood that was shed for us and taste afresh the blessedness of sins forgiven and go forth into the world refreshed and reinvigorated. Let us seek to receive Christ afresh as he reveals himself so clearly, so wonderfully in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And let us eat and drink to our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. For although Christ is not present after a corporal and carnal manner, although we're not handling the actual body and blood of Christ as some would have us believe, we are in a spiritual sense feeding upon him, feeding upon him to our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. But at the same time, we must realize, we must realize the price that was paid for this forgiveness. Nothing less than the blood of the Son of God. We can drink of this well, but we must also pour it out. And as we go out into the world, that's the one thing that's required of us. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies and spirits which are his. Take my life, take my love, O Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for thee. That's the way in which you and I can do what David did. Pour out not just a glass of water, but pour out ourselves unto the Lord. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray thee that thou dost prepare us each one as we look forward to the morrow. Enable us to examine ourselves, to search our hearts in the light of thy word. May, go, may we go to thy house and to thy table with due preparation of heart and life. Search us and know our hearts, try us and know our ways, and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Enable us to go forward 
with honesty of heart, ready to hear what thou wilt speak to us. Help us to go for, forth prayerfully. Help us to go forward expectantly, believing that thou wilt meet with us. And do thou in thy mercy meet with each one of us at thy table and make thyself known in the breaking of bread. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be